Well, can, first of all, can we thank the band for playing today? Chris Kim, the, our, our music director, is away today, so it's like a, a special. That was fun. You guys were, were rocking it. Um, um, hey, so I'm really excited. Today we are continuing our This Is Family uh, series, and uh, this, has been, this is basically a vision series of ours. I mean, the fall is a great time to kind of recalibrate, remind ourselves what are we about, um, and if you're if you're new, you get to see this is this is really what we're where we're headed. This is what we're trying to be. This is family. Uh, family is a a metaphor, an analogy that the Bible uses uh, to describe God's people, His church, and it really encapsulates a very in a very central way of what we're trying to be. We, we want to be a place where you can belong, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, as you're figuring things out. We want to be there for, for for one another. Week one was we need one another. Uh, you need others and others need you. We're built for community. Um, and we talked about how that that doesn't just come, the, the, the life-giving, natu- the, you know, amazing, amazingly rich relationships that the Bible describes that we can have um, are, are available to us, but they don't just come automatically. We've got we to gotta cultivate them. We've got to foster them. So we talked about that. Week two, we, we talked about living with purpose, that we don't want to just, you know, love and take care of and, and serve each other, uh, as good as that is, but that's a means towards something else, and that is having an outward focus. Always be looking outward, which we see in the scriptures over and over again. Um, th- there's this, God wants to love those around you, not just take care of the needs of, of the group, of, of, of ourselves, but we want to fight the tendency to become uh, inwardly focused and, and constantly remain outward focused. Well, today we ask the question, what is the church, what is current, to stand out for? Like, how are we to stand out? What should we be known for? Um, to kind of have a little bit of fun with it. I mean, all families stand out in different ways, right? We all, in, in the, you know, oftentimes it's in, it's in quirks. Um, you know, I'll never forget the time I was with, uh, with Cindy's family in, in their house. Uh, we were just getting to know, still getting to know each other. We were dating for just a little bit. I was sitting there at, on the couch uh, Cindy's dad was sitting there across on the other couch, whom we, whom, whom the family calls affectionately Baba, which is Mandarin for for Daddy. Uh, he was sitting there, and then two family members came into the adjoining room, uh, just all kind of connected in this one room, not very far from each other. I'm sitting there. I don't know if I'm on my phone or whatever. Uh, uh, Cindy's dad is reading through the newspaper, and all of a sudden, I hear from the other room again, not very far away, um, Baba, and I'm sitting there like, whoa, what just happened? It's like, I, and I actually toned it down a little bit there because I don't want to like pierce you with my, my with, with the microphone here. It was papa and I was just like, is everybody is everything okay? Or, or is everybody safe? Like what what just happened? And I look over at, at Cindy's dad and he just kind of keeps leafing through the newspaper and he's like, Yeah like really, really loud. I was just like, what? what's, okay, everything's okay. And, and, you know, eventually they found, you know, they realized, okay, the same room and they figured out the, 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 the tone and the, and the, the, the decibel level. Uh, but later on, I remember the same thing happened. Uh, this time it was Cindy's dad saying, uh, mama. And, uh, and, and yeah, and it was going back and forth like that. And uh, after being married for a few years, I got used to it and, and, it, and it hit me. It hit me at one point. I was sitting there with Cindy one time. I said, roosters, we're a family of roosters. Like, we sound like Shishin, which is Cindy's nickname. Um, and I say we are a family of roosters because I am a rooster myself now. Because, I mean, you, you know, my family of four, uh, we, we talk like this. If you come, if you come across the, the, in the neighborhood you're walking by, you'll hear these loud noises. 
Um, you don't have to call the cops. Everything's okay. Nobody's dying an excruciatingly painful death. It's like, it's okay. We're just roosters. You know, all of us are just making life. It's one of the quirky ways we just kind of, s- we stand out. Now, I absolutely adore Cindy's family. It just, there's just and they, they stand out for a number of ways, but just having fun. There's some quirks that we stand out for. But how as a church are we like bigger picture? If there's something we'll be known for, if there's something we're really to stand out for, how are we to be known? Um, to be real about it, we will have quirks. This is family. And if, if a family of four has quirks, you've got to believe that a group this size, a family coming together, is going to have quirks. We're going to have quirks. We're going to have our own, like, you know, church, family, personality, and all that. That's good. We're also going to have baggage that we bring into relationships. Uh, you know, we're also going to bring in struggles. But in the midst of all of that, as we look to serve one another and as we look to serve others, how are we to stand out? What are we to be known for? I want to look today at a scripture text, the one that was just read, that biblical scholars, I never knew that until this week, biblical scholars say if there's a story about Jesus that epitomizes what he was about, that epitomizes what he stood for, it's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, which kind of struck me this week as I was reading biblical scholars saying that. It's like there's a lot of stories in the Bible about Jesus. What is it about this story that really encapsulates what he's about, what he stood out for? And I want to think about that, and then by implication, consider with you today as a church family, what does this mean for how we are to stand out, what we're to be known for and live for? Uh, here at the very top, I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's not rocket science. It's pretty straightforward. It's, it's more in the unpacking that we see the beauty and power. We're to stand out for the same over-the-top, overabundant, dare I say extravagant, even scandalous at times, love of Christ. I mean, he just, he loved us just so over the top. And the church is supposed to be known for that. Even sometimes when it gets a little bit of, like like I mentioned earlier, scandalous. And we'll see that actually even in this text. But we're supposed to stand out for and be known for Christ's love. What is that love and what does this mean for us? Uh, If you have your Bibles open, uh, we're going to be looking at that as we work our way through. So the first verse here, as as the story is told, is Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So there's a number of things to just consider as we kind of set the stage, as we look at this uh, story in the book of Luke, chapter 19. A lot's happened in 19 chapters. Essentially, the important thoughts to think about is Jesus is near the tail end of his three-year-long ministry. Uh, virtually all the stories, minus the baby Christmas stories, um, all happen in about a three-year period of Jesus' public life ministry. Uh, Three years, and at this point in his life, in in, in his journey, he is towards the very end of that. And all along the way, he's been telling his disciples, he's been predicting that he's going to die. And that God the Father is going to raise him up again on the third day. Now his disciples, his followers, they didn't get this. They didn't understand this fully, what he was meaning. In fact, at one point, Peter, kind of the main guy Jesus was grooming, pulled Jesus aside and it says he rebuked him and said, Jesus, You can't go around talking about your death like this. Like, what are you talking about? You've got a massive following going on. You've got the multitude hanging out with you. People are into you. Don't ruin that by talking about death. Don't do that. And yet what it says is Jesus looked at Peter, and he actually called the other disciples who weren't in on that side conversation. He pulled them in. He said, guys, you don't understand. This is exactly what I came for. Very resolutely, he said, I have to give my life. I have to lay down my life so that you and that through you, others can receive life in my name. 
I have to do it. So he's setting out for Jerusalem. He's been headed there, and he stops by Jericho. Now, Jericho is basically the last, like, big stop along the way, okay? Jericho is like, you know, uh, the city that just kind of leads into Jerusalem. And Jericho was known for being a very wealthy, affluent trading town, okay? I mean, if you know, if you know the, how the Middle East sits there in Israel, and then Jericho was kind of a connecting point between three continents. So there's a lot of wealth there. And with a lot of wealth, there's an underbelly of that. Um, another interesting thing that I think takes bearing in this story indirectly is we're told that there are a lot of priests living in Jericho. So Jericho was kind of a commuter town, you know, first century commuter town. Uh, the priests, it was not too far out from Jerusalem, so whenever the priests had their priestly duties, their obligations, they'd go into Jerusalem, they'd handle that, and they'd go back and they'd live in, in Jericho. And the reason why I think that's interesting, even though it's not necessarily mentioned here, although I think, it, I think it has an indirect bearing on this, because Jericho had a higher concentration of religious folks, of priests, something to kind of have in the back of our head as we go forward. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And then we're introduced to this guy, Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Actually, we're told he's a chief tax collector who was wealthy, which, for what it's worth, that's kind of a redundant thought there. I mean, if he was a tax collector, that meant he was wealthy. If he was a chief tax collector, it meant he was extremely wealthy, let alone in a place like Jericho. Here's how the tax collecting system worked back then. It was essentially a farming system. The Roman powers you know, they, they would come, they'd conquered the lands, and because they didn't want to have, like, such the bad guy rep, even though it was kind of uh, uh, unavoidable, they would, from within each conquered group of people, have, uh, uh, basically get individuals, raise up tax collectors to, ta to, to exact the taxes from the people that they themselves wouldn't have to directly take. Does that make sense? And how they would do it is it, the farming system. They would basically go and they would, these, these individuals who aspired to be tax collectors would bid, I can, I can collect this much money from the people. Well, I can collect this much money. Um, and you can see how that worked in Romans, the Romans' favor in a number of fronts. So these guys were already driving the tax prices up. And then how they collected their own money, how they made their own living, was taking whatever else they could then Exact from, uh, take, uh, exact from the people in addition to the taxes that they had said that they would raise. All the while, the Romans loved this system. They would protect them. And so, in other words, I mean, this is the way I think of, like, Zacchaeus and the tax collectors. They were just, like, government-sanctioned mobsters. I mean, they were absolutely despised. Um, if that mobster thing doesn't work for you, it's like, you know, who, who's the sheriff in Robin Hood? You know, you just would come in and say, you know what, I'll take that. And, they, and the people could do nothing people hated them. They despised them. They were treasonous. They were swindling people. They absolutely couldn't handle That was the system. And the tax collectors knew all that and were kind of like, whatever. Um, and we're, also we're actually also told that Zacchaeus was very short. It makes me think of it like a Danny DeVito character. You know, just kind of out there, mobster, full backing from the government, mobster type deal. Uh, one of those characters. He, he hears that Jesus is coming, passing through Jericho, and he wants to go see him. Now, there's crowds building up that day. Keep in mind, this is before Netflix. This is before any, like, mobile phones or TVs or anything like that. Back then, an itinerant teacher coming through, that was kind of a big deal, let alone one of Jesus' stature. These guys all were like, we got to check this guy out. Zacchaeus is like, i got to check this guy out. Now, we're not told what he's thinking or what he's feeling, but I can't help but think part of what Zacchaeus is thinking is, oh, my goodness, i got to check this guy out because he has been labeled by this point as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Otherwise, why would Zacchaeus literally brave this crowd 
to go try to see Jesus. I mean, this crowd is going to know Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, public enemy number one. They're going to know Zacchaeus. They're going to be like doing, they would love to like get their hands around his neck, can't. They're probably like spitting in front of him, jeer, all that sort of thing. Zacchaeus is like, you know what? I got to see this guy. The friend of tax collectors. It's worth it. He can't get through the crowd. Again, we're not told this thought, but I can't help but think that maybe, maybe the crowd doesn't want to help him get to the front. I mean, have you ever been to like, you know, we were at Monterey Bay Aquarium and they're doing the otter exhibit recently and I wanted to get the kids up front. Granted, they're kids, but they're like, hey, you know, it was packed. I mean, we're talking 10 feet deep, you know, sardines packed. And like, hey, let's let the kids get up front. Of course. And even folks who are, you know, vertically challenged, let them forward and that sort of thing. These guys weren't having that. So Zacchaeus goes and he finds a fycamore, uh, a fycamore, a sycamore fig tree. Um, and he climbs up to the top. Um, as Jesus approaches. But then catch this. This amazing shift happens in the narrative. Verses 2 and 3, Zacchaeus is kind of the protagonist. He's the one who's introduced. He's the one we're being told about. It's his story. But then in verse 5, it shifts. When Jesus reached the spot, he, Jesus, looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This is extravagant love. This is over-the-top love. This is a love that we see Jesus' love meets us where we are at. I mean, literally, physically. He met, G- he met Zacchaeus up in the tree, which let's just pause and recognize for a second. That must have been an awkward scene. I mean, here's an adult in a tree. If you see an adult in a tree, something's weird going on, let alone like Danny DeVito mobster up in the tree that everybody like despises and is just kind of pretending to not. You know what I'm saying? Jesus has no problem with that. He literally meets him physically where he's at. But more to the point, of course, Jesus is meeting Zacchaeus where he's at in terms of who he is. Because you have to believe if Jesus knew his name, Zacchaeus, he knew that he was a tax collector. He knew that he was a chief tax collector. He knew that he was a crook. He knew that he was swindling people out of their money. He knew all of that. And then he came and he said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. You know, going to someone's house back then, today if we go over to someone's house, that's a cool, nice deal. I think we fail to understand the significance of that. People going to the house back then, coming under someone's roof, first of all, you spent a lot of time. It was like a banquet. I mean, you, you ate food together, you drank together, you, uh, people would all come around, and it was an incredible honor to bless somebody, is how they put it, with your presence, let alone someone like Jesus. And Jesus goes... And how, does the peop- how do the, the people respond? Maybe more religious than not? I don't know. Uh, all the people, verse 7, saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Actually, it's even more precious love than what we've even talked about. Jesus is spending some of the last few hours on this earth with Zacchaeus. He loves him. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. This is central to the message of Jesus, to come and love the, quote, sinner. Uh, This is to seek and to save the lost, he says at the very end. Uh, This is a central message because this is the point he makes for you and me. You know, at the end of the day, this is why the story so epitomizes what Jesus was about. We are all, in a sense, Zacchaeus. We're all in a sense Zacchaeus. You might not be, I might not be the, like, treasonous crook, tax collector type deal, but the, 
But Jesus, on every single page, is saying, guys, <laughs> you're essentially like Zacchaeus. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. We all live selfishly in different ways. We, also cause, we, all, we all cause harm to the relationships we're in. We all don't deserve God's love in some form or fashion. But this is what Jesus came to do. Meet us where we are and extend his love wherever we're at. You might think that you're beyond the pale. You might think that you're not deserving of God's love. I know, statistically speaking, that that's probably a number of you in this room. Uh, I cannot, as a, as a pastor, enumerate now how many times I've had the conversation of, does God really forgive? I was having a conversation just, just a, a few weeks back. Um, I was asked a great question. It's like, you know, what, what's forgiveness all about? And I, I, I asked a point of clarification. I said, what do you mean? Do you, in terms of like, you know, do you, like, do, do you need forgiveness? Or in terms of, like, what the Bible says about forgiveness? Like, wh what's your question? He said, he said, no, 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 no. I get that I need forgiveness. I get that. I understand that concept. That resonates. I get it. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? The Bible says that Jesus, in his amazing over-the-top love, meets us where we're at, loves us. Did he know about Zacchaeus, that he was a tax collector again? Yes, of course he did. Um, and you know what? Zacchaeus, as he was coming down from the tree, what do you think he was thinking about when he was getting down from that tree? Again, we don't know. But I have to fi you have to figure there's a number of thoughts and feelings going down his head. One of those being like, okay, this is really awkward. I shouldn't have come up in this tree. No, no, no. He's happy about being in the tree. I'm convinced. No, he was happy about being in the tree. He's coming down. He's thinking, oh, no. Is this, is this guy now? Is he going to, like, lay into me thick? Is he going to, like, have some hard words to share to me? But wait, the way he said it, there's like joy in his, like, I must come to your house. Like, uh, and all of that aside, Jesus is, he wants to come to my house? Jesus goes to his house. Uh, this is Jesus' love that he wants, he wants to be and meet us where we're at. Church family, this is what we are to stand out for. Uh, this incredible love. Uh, you know what the, the crowd wanted from Jesus? The crowd wanted Jesus to come down on Zacchaeus. They were muttering, why are you going to, they wanted him, to, Jesus, you go, you putting him in his place. Wait, aren't you, isn't you going to his house, isn't that condoning his lifestyle? Isn't that condoning all the cheating he's been doing, all the nasty things that he's gotten away with in broad daylight? Isn't that doing that? Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus loves this guy. And let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus was happy with and okay with Zacchaeus's life? choices and all. Do you think Zacchaeus was happy that he was cheating people out of the money? Do you think he was happy with, you know, greed and selfishness and all that sort of thing? If you know anything about Jesus, you know, of course not. Actually, if anything, Jesus had the highest moral and ethical standard of anything, uh, anybody, probably even including that crowd. Actually, including that crowd. His most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, you can check this out, Matthew 5 through 7. Here's essentially the paradigm of the, of the, of uh, uh, the format of that sermon. You've heard it written this, this, and this. Well, I tell you, God wants even more from you. He wants, he's calling you to a higher purpose. You've heard that it says, don't murder. Don't just not murder. Don't just avoid that. But I tell you that even if you like are, you're harboring angry thoughts, hateful thoughts, you're, you're positioning yourself to hurt somebody. You're hurting them. And don't just not commit adultery, that act, about, but even looking lustfully at somebody devalues them and hurts the relationships that you're in or will be. And then he says, don't judge. 
basically un- unpacking this whole thought. He's like, the, you start judging, you've got to realize it's basically like you're seeing the speck in somebody's eye, but there's a log in your own. Don't judge. And you know what? If anybody had the right to come down on Zacchaeus, if anybody had the right to, quote, fix or put Jesus in his place, uh, Zacchaeus in his place, it was Jesus. Let me ask you, though, when was the last time somebody came up to you and tried to put you in your place? Hey, this is where you're really messed up, or hey, this is where I just see. And, and you know, you were like, oh, yeah, you're right. Life change. Woo. I think all the married folks just laughed an extra measure there. Um, you know, if you've been through the, the joy but the work of marriage, you know that just come and say, no, I see this in you. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. No, no actually, it's a, it's a premarital axiom in, in counseling to say, you know what, don't try to focus on fixing your partner because, you know, you, need, you, can, you can't do that. But you can work on yourself. You can fix yourself, which actually I, I tend to think, I don't even know if we can do that. But God's love that we see here came from the inside out. We are called to, to if there's something we're to stand out for, it's to love people. It's to love people. It's to draw people in. Jesus could have come down on Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew. They just loved him. And actually, that's where the life change happens for Zacchaeus. Uh, We'll get into this a little bit more here in a second. But basically, at the end, Jesus says, you know, cutting through all that noise, son, I deeply love you. He's not condoning what Zacchaeus is doing in any way, but he loves him, and through that, there's this life change that happens for Zacchaeus. And he says, I deeply love you, son. I think that son, he doesn't say exactly that way. How he says it is, uh, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He's not just talking to Zacchaeus there, right? He's talking to everybody. He's saying, guys, this guy's a part of the family, too. Bring him in. Um, God meets us where we're at. And loves us there. And this is what, if there's something we're to be known for, is there something to be, we're supposed to stand out for? It's loving folks. Look, do we long to see life change? Yes. Do we long to become more like the people God's created us to be, that we're intended to be, but we fall so desperately short of? Yes. But you know, that starts with us. That starts with us. And it start, and our place in that is not to go and say, oh, we figured it out, go mutter. And no, our place is just, like Jesus does here, love so extravagantly, so maybe even a little scandalously, not condoning. Jesus doesn't do that. But you notice it's messy, it's challenging, but it's beautiful. It's powerful. God meets you and I where we're at. Number two, and it's by this love that we don't remain where we are. Uh, We've already sort of gotten into this, but verse 8, after all this happens, Jesus just goes over his house. There's no other words said You know, they're just hanging out from all we could tell. Zacchaeus stood up, verse 8, and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Now, okay, there's more things to unpack here, but first, notice that there's an internal shift here. He's calling Jesus Lord. What's that all about? He's put his faith, he's put his trust in Jesus. He's he's, he's believing, he's putting his allegiance in Jesus. He's tasted and he's seen that Jesus' love is way beyond anything he he deserves or would ever dream of. And he's saying, you know what? That's enough for me to say I'm all in. I'm living for you. I put my faith in you. You know, the way I was living, the way I think I'm living, you know what? I'm just going to turn it over to you. I'm going to follow you. 
There's this inside-out change that's happened for him. Look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Okay, that's life change, wouldn't you say? And what's interesting, too, is the, the verb in the original language, for what it's worth, it's actually, it can be, it's actually understood as an ongoing process. Like, this is what he's, commi- this is what he's doing. He wants, to, he wants to start living in this way. Um, God meets us where we're at, and it's through that that we see change. You know, I, I'm wearing this shirt on purpose today. Um, because this is one of our shirts. If you want one, pick one up afterwards. Our team did an awesome job with this. But this, this phrase and this ordering is very intentional. Uh, we say belong, believe, become, but not behave, believe, become. Okay? Often, I think, our, our natural tendency in any webs of relationships, churches you know, are, are, are guilty of this, what we can easily do is we can make it behave. Get your act together first. Get it figured out. Get your, you know, work on yourself. Meet the standards that we have imposed, that we've decided these are the important ones. Um, We might be forgetting that we're all Zacchaeus. It's just we've identified these, so we're just going to focus on these. Get your act together. Figure out. Work out the the secret handshake, and then you could be part of things. You could be be a part of things, and and we'll, we'll change together. But what we see here with Jesus is he meets us where we're at physically, but he meets us where we're at in terms of where we are in our relationship with him, in terms of having one or not having one. So that's why we say belong, believe, become. Jesus meets Zacchaeus where he's at. He knows that Zacchaeus doesn't have it all together. He knows that we don't have it all together. He meets us there. And so we belong first. I love that. Zacchaeus, precious few hours of Jesus' last, uh, of, last of, of his last hours on, on earth, he's saying, I'm, Zacchaeus, you need to be brought in. And so he spends the time, and it's from that that Zacchaeus, and I think all of us begin to change. There's this wonderful, there's this wonderful, uh, oh, and by the way, yeah, real quickly, don't you, don't you love how the team does the L-O-V-E here? It's just like, it captures everything. We're just to stand out for our love. Um, there's a place in Romans where Paul is writing to the early church there. This is chapter two. He's basically established the thought in chapter one of that, of that book of saying, look, guys, at the end of the day, we're all messed up. We're all sinful is how, how they put it. We, we don't have our act together. And then he writes this thought to the church. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. We're all Zacchaeus. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is is intended to lead you to repentance? Repentance, that life transformation from the inside out saying, you know what, I don't see it the way you see it, God. Your way is better. I'm going to live in that way. I'm going to start living for others, start living for you. Does he say, how do we move to that place? It's by judging each other into that, muttering under our breath into that? Of course not. It's God's kindness. It's God's, it's the love of Christ that is just so overwhelmingly, so overabundantly precious. It, it's extravagant. It's, it's scandalous at times. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but the more I live life, the more I realize that, one, uh, we can't, quote, fix other people, and, quote, and, and two, it's not our place to, quote, fix them anyways. I can't fix myself. Um, but what it is our part, what it is our part as the church is to live 
with this posture of love. And I love it how, how uh, someone uh, earlier today said it. It's kind of like this. You know, it's, uh, I, I, this is you know, off, the, off the cuff here, what was said earlier today, is it's kind of like you see the person ahead, you grab them, you see the person behind, and you, we're all in this together. I love how the New, uh, the New York Times at one point, a guy named, uh, I'm not going to have his name, uh, D.T. Niles in the New York Times said it this way, Christianity is basically one beggar helping another beggar find bread. We're just humbly saying we don't have it figured out, but we're following Jesus. And in that, people will come to see his beauty and his, and his, and his love and, and make up their minds. Look, at the end of the day, we're just following in Jesus' footsteps. We're just following what he has done. My favorite verse here, my favorite verse this time around reading the story is verse 7. So there's some cool verses here. It's, you know, the, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I love that. That's verse 10. Here's my favorite verse, though. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. You know why I like that verse, although it's kind of silly? People began to mutter. What were they muttering about? That Zacchaeus was a horrible guy? That he was sinful, he was terrible, like what a wretched dude? They were muttering about Jesus. They were muttering that he, Jesus, has gone to this house. What does that mean? That means Jesus, in this moment, again, shifted the hostility of the crowd away from Zacchaeus and onto himself. In giving mercy to the tax collector, Jesus directed the scorn, the hatred onto himself. And that is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus. Why could he do any of this for Zacchaeus? Why could he do any of this for you or for me? That's what the cross is all about. That's where he was headed resolutely to Jerusalem to lay down his life on the cross, to bear all the judgment of our sin, the, the pain, the scorn, that we frankly deserve on himself, that we might have life in his name. Speaking centuries before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah said this, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering a fam and familiar with pain. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our failings, for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I love that this is what Jesus was headed to do. He was headed to Jerusalem, but before he got there, he had a very important visit with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. To go and meet him literally in his home, in a tree, in his home, and to bring him into God's family. This is what we're to stand out for. This love that we ourselves don't deserve, we are to extend others. Are we to take the commandments of, of Jesus seriously? Absolutely. We're not to disregard those and say, you know, it's not important. No, we see those as the life-giving truths that God's given us. To, to be the people that he, he's called us to be. But we, but we focus on love and helping people and you know ourselves included into that look you know i we don't claim to be a perfect church here at current we don't claim to have our act together and that we really believe is the point that's why jesus came jesus came to seek and to save the lost for salvation to come today do you notice all those imperatives i must come to your house come down immediately zacchaeus 
Today salvation has come for the, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what our calling is. That's what we want to stand out for is just love and people belong, believe, become. Let's pray.